Well, good morning. Why don't we stand? We're going to worship. Oh, Holy Spirit, we just ask you to come fill us. In Jesus' name. As the Spirit was moving over the water, Spirit, come move over us. Come rest on us. Come rest on us. As the Spirit was moving over the water, Spirit, come move over us. Come rest on us. Come rest on us. Come down. Spirit, when you move, you make my heart pound. When you fill the room, you're here and I know you are moving. I'm here and I know you will fill me. Come down. Spirit, when you move, you make my heart pound. When you fill the room, you're here and I know you are moving. I'm here and I know you will fill me.
presence is enough when I feel the shaking. Oh, I will stand my ground. Your presence is enough. Oh, you are with me. Oh, Father, you're for me. Oh, fear you'll never conquer me. Cause I belong to Jesus. I'm never alone, no. I'm never abandoned. You fear you'll never conquer me. Cause I belong to Jesus. When I feel the pressure, oh, I won't run away, even in tension.
we belong to you. Nothing can change that nothing, nothing. We belong to you. God, we just ask that you would seal that. You are good. You are our Father, and you will never leave us. There's nothing we can do that would not allow for you to be right there in front of us, right there beside us and behind us. You are so good. God, seal that over all of our hearts, minds, and bodies right now. In Jesus' name.
That's been one of my favorite songs over the last year and a half. I find myself just singing that every now and then. I'll pick up my guitar in the living room and I'll, I'll just play the song. I think it's just a reminder to me that uh, in the good times and bad, God has always been there. And I can look back and I can see his hand at work. Even when I felt like he was being silent, he was there. Even in times of desperation, he was there. It's his goodness that he chases after us. In his presence, we've sung about it this morning, his presence, his power to change things, his provision in our lives. And we're gonna go before the throne in prayer this morning. And some of you might be here today and you're in one of those places of desperation where you know God's been faithful, but man, you're in the waiting right now. And you're just asking God to come through one more time. I just want you to know he's there. So if you have a need, great or small, if you're watching online, if you're here at the campus and you have a, a need, great or small, and you just want to cry out to the Lord and be reminded of his power, his presence, and his provision in your life, I'm going to ask you to find a seat. There's going to be others who are going to gather around you, and they're going to be praying with you and praying for you this morning. And we just believe that God shows up in these moments as we cry out to him. So let's go before the throne. Father God, we need to be reminded sometimes that even when we feel like you're not there, Lord, you are. There is a belief and a faith that we have knowing that, uh, Lord, even when we feel out of control, <laughs> that we can know that Things are not out of control because you are in charge. That through Jesus Christ, Lord, he is the beginning and the end. He holds all things together, your word tells us, including our own lives. And so, Lord, whatever those needs are this morning, out of desperation for healing, for hope, for restoration, for restoring relationships, Lord, for provision, to have our needs met, whatever that is, Lord, I pray that even now you would move in our midst and that you would remind us again that you are the King of kings and the Lord of lords, and we can trust you. God, we, we know that we here, we're just one expression of the global church, and so we want to pray for other local expressions today, and we, we pray for our Fruitport Congregational Church and that you would just bless them in the ministries that they are doing to bring the gospel to the community. God, we pray for your global church. We think of the Gomez family in Guadalajara and the work that they are doing to plant a church movement. And God, we just, uh, we, they've asked for prayer for, um, for a space that they could call home. They've been portable for two years now and they're looking for a place as they continue to grow and as they see lives transformed by the love of Jesus Christ. Lord, we pray for a place for them and for open doors. And God, throughout the rest of this service, we know your spirit is here, that you are moving, and we ask, Lord, that you would meet us wherever we're at today. Whatever word that we need to hear from you, God, that we would hear it, that we would leave here people changed because we've been in your presence. And we ask this in Jesus' name and all of God's people said, amen. Well, you can find a seat where you're at.
My name's Thad. I'm the outreach pastor focused mostly on global uh, at all of our campuses. And uh, we, we always have some exciting things. If you, if you have questions or things about what we're doing, we have a trip to Ethiopia coming up in uh, January. And uh, if you sponsor one of our children and want to be a part of that trip, please see me following the service. And in a couple of weeks, we have some special things going on on the 30th of October. Would love for you guys to be back on that date to hear more of what's happening locally and globally. If you're a guest with us, I just want to say thank you for joining us. Uh, if someone brought you here today, you can thank them for bringing you today. But in order for us to connect with you and for us to hear more of your story and for you to know more about us, uh, we have a connection card. It's online and you can uh, use the QR code that's in front of your seat. Uh, take out your phone and uh, fill that out. It's also available online, so if you don't do it today but want to do it later on this week, you can do that. Uh, allshores.org is a place where you will find that connection card. But it's not just for those of you who are guests with us, it's for all of us. So if you have a prayer request or something that you want to let us know about, you can use that connection card. There is also, I shared with someone this morning and showed them how to do it, but on our website, we have a prayer loft. And you can request prayers, and they will show up on the prayer loft, and, and then you can pray for other people's needs throughout the week. And when you do, an email gets sent to them or can get sent to them to just let them know, hey, someone prayed for you today. And so it's a great way for you to, to engage in ongoing ministry throughout the week is to use that prayer loft, and that's on our main page at allshores.org. We're going to come to our time of giving now, and I know we don't pass the bags or plates like we used to a long time ago. It feels like a long time ago, doesn't it? But, uh, but this is an act of worship for us. You know, my, my wife and I, two weeks ago, we were, we were celebrating and reflecting because uh, it's been 10 years since we've moved here. Pause for applause. No, I'm just I'm kidding. Um, some of you are like, whatever. Um, but we were reflecting and uh, talking about what we were celebrating, but we're also reminded of just like God's goodness, his faithfulness over the years. But when we first got married, which was not 10 years ago, 32 years ago, our first check that we received, we sat down and we wrote out a tithe as an act of worship. And we have continued that practice for 32 years and we've been We've been in places of struggle financially. We've been in places where we've been dependent on others to come through and be generous. But through it all, God has been so faithful. And God has blessed in some unique ways that if you want stories, I can tell you stories of how medicine that was supposed to run out for our child lasted for a week longer than it was supposed to. And it's hard to explain that. But you can't outgive God. And so I want to challenge you. I don't know where you're at in your giving, but we don't give because God somehow needs it. But it's an act of, of worship for you. It changes you because you realize that all that you have is not yours, it's His. And that it can be used for so many kingdom building works around the world, locally, globally, regionally. But it's, it's what disciples do. It's what followers of Jesus do. So I just want to encourage you, if you haven't started, we've got boxes out in the lobby uh, to give. There are envelopes that you can give. You can also give online uh, at allshores.org. There's a place to do that. So I just want to encourage you to make it an act of worship 
in your life. All that being said, we have several things going on in our church, and uh, some of those will be coming up on the screen, so take a look behind me. Hey, All Shores family. Well, fall is here, and with fall comes a whole bunch of exciting events that we get to enjoy, anything from Friday night football to traveling up north on the weekends to see the fall colors to homecoming weekends, like so many fun things. But with those fun things comes the feeling of being overwhelmed, the feeling of being overloaded, the feeling of rushing from one thing to the next. And I don't know about you, but when I experience those feelings, it can just be very difficult to feel God's peace. But there is good news, there is encouragement because God still wants to connect with us. He wants to do that both personally and corporately. And so even despite all of these things going on in our lives, I wanna invite you to take some time aside to join us for a worship night on Friday, November 4th. We're gonna gather here at our worship center in Spring Lake at 6.30 p.m. And we're just gonna take time as a church to sit in God's presence and worship him together. And I don't know about you, but every time I come to worship the Lord, even though I'm bringing gifts of my own to him, my thankfulness, my adoration, I find that God still has the best gift of all to give, and that's his presence and his peace. And so with that being said, I hope you will take some time on Friday, November 4th to join us. Be sure to mark your calendar. We can't wait to see you. Welcome those joining us online, all of you here at our Spring Lake campus, uh, and invite you really in just a minute to pray. We're about to begin a new series that we've titled Give or Take, and I want to ask you to pray in the quiet, that we believe it's not about information or even persuasion, it's about revelation. And so whether you're with us and you're investigating, whether you're here as a committed Christian, whether you're in the throes of despair or even different postures, just be honest with God. You pray in the quiet, and then I want to pray for us that God would speak to us. He'd lead us. He would teach us. So I'll give you quiet to pray, and then I'll pray for us together. Lord, I thank you that you want to reveal yourself to us. I thank you that you long for it more than anything I could do or say. And so I'm asking that nothing would hinder that today, whether 
any among us are living with doubt or skepticism or even simply disbelief, despair, struggle. For others of us, God, that may be living in a place where it's just dry, where we're hardened a bit to the truth of who you are, would you soften us? And then for all of us, God, and committed to you, would you speak, lead, transform? Wherever we're at, Lord, would you move in our own lives, in our own hearts, in our own minds? I join with the psalmist praying the words, I speak, and the way we respond in our hearts and our actions would please you, our rock and our redeemer. And all of God's people said, amen. Well, we're starting a new series today. We've titled Give or Take, and we'll get into what that means in a few minutes. If you're new here, you picked a perfect week to be part of us as we start something new. Uh, and so to really help us get a frame around give or take, uh, we're going to just look at a few things that make a lot of sense. Brothers, sisters, and salmon fishing. I mean, I know when you think of give or take, probably that's what came to mind for you too. Brothers, sisters, and salmon fishing. I'm sure it did. And I'll make that more clear in just a minute. I want you to think about it just from the sake of brothers and sisters. This is a common story. It happens in lots of families. But picture, for example, a young boy, maybe he's seven, and his little sister is two. And have you ever left a seven and a two-year-old alone in a room to wonder what's going to happen right there? You ever worried about that? So picture the, that you hear screaming coming from the room. Only what surprises you is it's the boy screaming, not the girl. You're confused. You run in and you find out that she is yanking on his hair and has grabbed a hold and is taking everything she can to just keep pulling and pulling and pulling. Is anybody just having trauma right now thinking about it again? You run in and you kind of slowly get her fingers off of him, getting her to let go, to stop taking like she is. And then you try to explain it to your son. Hey, she didn't know better. She didn't mean to do it. She didn't understand what she did. And you think you've reasoned with your son, you're walking away, only to several minutes later hear screaming again, but this time it's her. And you walk in and see him doing things we won't even mention, but causing her pain. And suddenly he turns to you and he says, well, she knows what it did now and what it means. Well done, children, right? That, that it's kind of fascinating, but often taking from each other, not even know why, or taking it out on her, because of what she's done to him. He's going to do something to her. And that leads me to salmon fishing. Salmon fishing, I don't know how many of you are actually people that love to fish. I, uh, I'm someone you want to take along when you fish because if you ever feel like you didn't catch something big enough, I'll help you feel like it's bigger. Because whatever I catch is smaller than anything anyone else catches. God has given me the gift of inadequate fishing skill. And I'm amazed at how every time I go out, someone catches something larger, even if by some reason I happen to get something, they'll get bigger or mine gets smaller or less of it just never goes well for me, except for one time. One time I went out on a fishing uh, charter, someone decided that would be a good staff activity. Hey, we're going to take you out as a staff, and by the way, you're going to get up at two in the morning is what it felt like. Get up at a time you never get up because that's when the fish are out. If they're out that time, I don't really want them. That's what I got to say. You're like, well, this is a good day. I'm going to go fish, probably feel inadequate, and then I'll be tired too. And maybe I'll want to vomit because any of you have that where you're like, unless it's completely calm, the water's not a good thing for you. So we're out on this boat, and they have all the lines already out because it's really not even up to you. It's just which line you get in case you don't know. When you charter, typically, the skilled people are setting the skill to let the newbies try things. 
So it was supposed to be the guy in front of me's turn, and he decided he would rather relieve himself of things that were once eaten. You're welcome. Just thought I'd give you that before, before lunch. So it was my turn. I got up, and I caught the largest fish of the day, and it was a salmon. It was the only salmon caught all day. Yep. You can cheer for me. It's okay. I appreciate that. It's courtesy cheer. Very West Michigan. Nice. Good for you. Whatever. So in my incredible generosity, as they were cutting up the fish later, I thought, mine is a salmon, theirs are everything else. It was my fish. I caught it, right? I wanted to take it home. And they were distributing it to everyone else as well. Needless to say, I was not happy. In fact, I was mad. I was taking pride that I caught this, it's for me, I'm taking it. You're probably all marveling at my maturation, aren't you? Like, that is one mature man right there. But what I realized is I, I think my default was taking, not giving. My default was what could I get, not what could I give. My default was one that was self-protective. How do I have, how do I not lose what I have? And if it's mine, I'm entitled to it. And whether it's as a child and they're simple things like someone harms us and we're going to harm them back, we're going to take what was taken from us, whether it's something beneficial, something that we long for, we all can have tendencies, can't we? In fact, if you were to ask yourself, what's your tendency? Are you a giver or a taker? Just, just think about it for a minute. What's your default? Not what do you want to appear, but what are you? And then I'll put you the ones that, that really are kind of the matcher where basically it's reciprocity. I will give as long as I get too. And so in this whole series, we're looking at this idea of give and take. We can think about it just from daily life, brothers and sisters and salmon fishing, but I'm telling you, What we want to do is ask, what is God like? What specifically is Jesus like? And what does that mean for us? Now, today we're going to look at him and how he is, how he was, how he will always be. Is he really a giver? Is he a taker? Is it reciprocity? How does Jesus, God himself, live? And I just want to add this one consideration for you as we look at this. Because I've noticed in the last few years that all of us, to some degree, are more cautious about being givers in any way you think about it. Whether it's your time, your engagement, your resource, whatever you do, we've held on a little more tightly, which is what we do when we're fearful or concerned, isn't it? And we're just going to look at Jesus and say, what is he like and why is he the way he is? And what does it mean for us? So we're going to start in John. John is one of the four accounts of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. And, uh, and if you don't have a Bible with you, the, the scriptures will be on the screen. We encourage you to be looking through, studying, taking notes. And we're going to get at later the idea of how you might engage in scripture throughout the week to enhance, to learn more of what we're talking about. Because we care more deeply about you being people engaged in what we call the written word. And we say this regularly reveals the living word. In other words, we find Jesus in there. Now we're going to go to a passage in John that if you're If you were alive and aware in the 70s or 80s, you would have seen this passage at many sporting events. In fact, there was a dude that had crazy wild hair that would hold up these signs that said, John 3.16. You don't even have to be around church and you might know that. If you're anywhere younger than that, we all hate you and are so glad you can enjoy your youthfulness. Actually, we love you, um, but we're bitter. So let me take you to John 3.16. This is John 3.16 and 17, and we're asking... It's a simple question. 
What's Jesus like? Is he a giver? Is he a taker? And what does it mean? How do we best understand this? So here's what John says about him. For God so loved the world that he gave. He gave. He gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Now we'll come back around to this idea of Jesus saving the world. It's a very central theme in scripture. It's a theme in history of God's desire to save us. But I want to start with God giving and God's nature of giving. And even when I read that, you know, he gave his one and only son. And I think, well, I have three boys. I could give one up. I guess it's not a big deal. I don't really mean that. I, I love my children. I just, I'm just a sick human being. But it's crazy to think about what it means. I mean, God literally gives of his very, of his very self. God gives of all that he is and has. And, and I want you to just to consider this, that he's saying, what was his motive? He says it's love. He said God so loved that he gave. He so loved that he gave. He so loved that he gave. Now, I don't know what you grew up with if you grew up in the church. And if you didn't, you may not have grabbed onto this kind of bad theology. But oftentimes it was taught when I was growing up that God, that God hated sin, which is true. I don't, I'm not trying to change that. But alongside what it meant was God can't even look at you with who you are in your sin. And so Jesus had to die so that he could love you. In other words... It's kind of an obligatory action, but not one that he cherished or loved. You might say it this way, that God wanted to make you lovable, so he died for you, so you could be. And that's not true. And we're going to look at that and what it really means and what Jesus really was like and what he said about himself and about his actions. But if we miss that part, we miss the posture we're to take. Because he's saying God loved us so much that he gave of himself, that he sacrificed of himself. And so it's very important that we understand the nature of God's giving. And I want, I want to be clear on this because this is the next question we'll, we'll answer is, is giving a part of his love? Is it a lower level of his love? Is it the highest expression of, like what, how central is God's being giving to love? And I'm going to take you now to Jesus' words later in John's account this is when he's with his disciples. He's literally getting ready to be captured, if you will, and taken to be beaten and just taken almost an inch of his life only to be crucified and then die, which will be, by the way, the method with which he saves us is through his death. But I want you to hear what he says. Does he do this in order to love us or does he do it because he loves us? And listen to how important giving is and how his giving way is to his love. And he says it this way in John 15, greater love has no one than this, <laughs> to lay down one's life for one's friends. In other words, very simply, the greatest act of love is sacrificial giving, is letting go, is giving of yourself. The very strongest act Jesus shows us of who he is out of love is to give of himself for us. So do you think the nature of giving is part of who he is or central to who he is? You can answer. It's okay. Central. You are right. And you've won. Just kidding. 
Well, you still win, but not from me. Uh, I, I want us to understand that when we talk about giving or taking, the nature of giving is the nature of who God is. And, and consider it this way with me. So Jesus, who is God, infinitely and forever, from before time to now to the end of time, Jesus let go of his glory in the divine, let go of his rule and reign in the divine, let go of all of his riches and power in the divine to come into humanity in order to sacrifice and die for us. It wasn't just, I'll do this for you. It was opening his hand saying, I'm letting go of everything I am and have out of love for you. Now, can we agree that's crazy and doesn't make sense? I think it's a thing we understand in our minds as Christians, and even those maybe investigating might hear it, but we don't really believe it. And I want you to see this is central to what Jesus wanted to understand is the nature of giving, the nature of letting go, the nature of self-sacrifice for others is the greatest expression of his love and who he is. You know, the early church made this so central. The early church leaders understood this so significantly. There were even hymns before we have records of hymns that Paul, for example, cites in one of his letters. And let me just step back. Let's look at Paul for a minute as an expression of this and why he understood it the way he did. So if you don't know Paul, if you haven't heard of him, his name was Saul from birth. Saul was a Jew of Jews. He was a Pharisee of Pharisees. He was born to the best tribe he should have been from the tribe of Benjamin as it relates to the role he played. And we know that he was the highest level of Pharisee, which means he attached and grown into seven expressions. So he'd reached the highest point. Think of anything that you go, he was the top of the game, just a, a perfect explanation and living out of the law, doing everything he could to preserve the Jewish way. So Jesus rises from the dead. These other Jews are saying, hey, this dude rose. He's the Messiah. We got to follow him. And Saul, being a Jew, was deeply threatened by his way of life and went after early Christians, went after them to put them in prison. Actually, we have a record of one time when he stands and gives approval from one of these early apostles, Stephen, to be stoned. And as Stephen is getting stoned, and every time I say it, I have to remind you, that doesn't mean he smoked anything, and it doesn't mean he took any edibles, Okay. I mean, he's literally getting stones thrown at him to kill him. Saul is watching and approving it. And the crazy part is the heavens open as Stephen says, forgive them. Stephen, in an act of generosity of his own sacrifice, in response to what Jesus has done, does it. And he can see heaven. Come on. Tell me that's not crazy. It makes, it, he, wasn't actually be, he wasn't actually stoned when he did it. He was being stoned. He wasn't stoned. That's what I want you to understand. This is a crazy thing that happens. And we read stuff like that and go, yeah, that sounds nice. I'm sorry, it doesn't sound nice. It sounds unbelievably unexplainable, right? Could you use a little unbelievably unexplainable in your life right now? I could use a little of that. I'm kind of tired of the explainable and irritating. That's mostly what it is right now. Let's get some unexplainable and just crazy awesome. So Saul now is one taking all these people out. He's heading to a city to do this in another expression. And scripture tells us, and he gives count of it several times later, this light comes down. And the people with him don't, don't hear the voice. But Jesus says, why are you persecuting me, Saul? And Saul is blinded at this point in time. They have to walk him to the city because he can't find his way. 
They know something's happened. For three days he's there. <laughs> God supernaturally asks this other dude to go pray for him to get him healed. And the other dude's like, isn't that the guy taking a reality? No, thank you. And God says, no, do it anyway. So he prays over Saul. His eyes are opened. He becomes a new name, Paul. And God tells him, you're going to suffer and you're going to struggle, but go tell everybody about me. Whew. Come on. He goes from the person you think, no way could God ever do anything to love this guy enough to change this. And he not only changes it, he changes history through this guy that seemed like he was out to destroy everything. And so when Paul's telling some of the people about him, he writes this one letter to the church in Philippi. And he says, hey, don't do anything out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Stop holding on to what you have and consider others better than yourselves. Open your hand and be people of generosity. And then he describes Jesus. Your attitude should be like him. And then he recites a hymn as best we understand it, meaning how the church was talking about him. And he basically says, this Jesus, though he was equal with God, considered equality with God, not something to be grasped. In other words, he made himself nothing. He takes on the nature of a servant, being made in humanity, and even being obedient to death, even death on the cross. And then it tells us from there, he's given the name above every name, that every knee on heaven, under earth, on the earth will bow and call him Lord. What I want you to see is just how big this love is, that one of the early leaders was the most far from God and the most deeply impacted by God's love of giving generous, sacrificial life. So this is how Paul describes it later. And I think gives us the final handles of this. He says, you see, at just the right time, while we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely would anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love. You want to know how great it is? He does it in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Now, Paul can write this because he gets it. <laughs> Dude, I was a wreck and I'm a mess and wouldn't you want to take me out? And God goes, I love you. I'm meeting you right in the place you feel most unlovable, most unable to ever receive what I have to give. It makes me wonder what our posture is today. And I say this to Christians and to people who might be investigating because it's kind of an interesting thing. I, th I think for most Christians we would say, oh, I understand God loves me and forgives me and died for me. But we live as if we don't believe that. You do realize that, don't you? Everything in our lives tell us if we're going to make it happen, we have to do enough. If we don't get to a good place, it's our own fault. If we worked harder, we'd get there. We'd try harder. Like it's kind of the American dream. You work hard enough, you can have what you want. But we know it's not true. <laughs> and so it's really hard for us to believe this. I think some of us, we really don't talk honestly, but we know I'm not good enough. I don't believe it. I've made too many mistakes. There's an ugliness no one sees. Boy, if you knew the selfishness, the vindictiveness, the hatefulness, the competitiveness, we cheat, we hurt, we take, we steal, we move to get what we want, the way we want, when we want. Or if we're sophisticated, we give enough to appear one way, but always trusting it'll come back better for us. And somehow we think we're too far from God's reach. You know, I, I think back to my own life growing up, my middle school and high school years, and I always thought there was a lot wrong with me that everybody, even if someone laughed nearby, I figured they must be laughing at me. And 
back then I thought, I, I got some serious issues. And now as I get older, I realize, no, that's pretty much every teenager, isn't it? Most of them. Most of us, don't we all feel that way? And then we grow up and we're still teenagers and we still carry things thinking we're not good enough. We don't do enough. We've done too much. There's no way God could love me in either the brokenness or the darkest darkness, either spoken or thought about. It makes me wonder if we really believe that he loves us. You know, we have a song that we've been singing around here. And the chorus, it's been one of those choruses for me that I, I grab every time we sing it. And, and it just goes, there's just three lines. We just sing, my sin was great. Your grace was greater. My shame was wide. Your arms were wider. My guilt was deep. Your love was deeper still. Hear it again. My sin was great. Your grace was greater. My shame was wide. Your arms were wider. My guilt was deep. Your love was deeper still. I mean, I picture in your darkest moment and biggest struggle, God's sitting right there with you. Not looking going, I just can't look at you. But looking going, I see the brokenness and the inability to ever fix this. And I love you so much, I'm going to let go of my whole kingdom and everything I have, all of history that I've lived, and I'm coming to you. I am coming to you and I'm coming for you. If you just let me give to you this way. I know we get it. I just don't think we get it. And so before we ever talk about the way we're going to live, we have to better understand the way he lives and the way he loves and the way he cherishes. And in no way does it diminish sin. In fact, it heightens how severe it is. It just heightens also how much he loves. And I just wish you and I understood and could first know that we have a giving God who opens his hand and lets go of everything so he can come and be with us and love us through everything and give us a life we could never get on our own. You see, before we ever talk about we're going to be, we've got to first receive what he is and who he is. And I like to say it this way, you have to let go to let him take hold of you. In other words, you've got to let go of everything you've tried to do and everything you try to be in order to let him take hold of you. Let me give you one picture of this. Henry Nouwen, uh, brilliant and really, uh, I would say, a deep Catholic scholar from some years ago, tells the story of uh, two people that worked on a tra- uh, trapeze, one of those high trapezes. And he said, typically, in it, you have a flyer and you have a catcher. And so what happens is the flyer is on the first one and they swing across and guess what they have to do? They have to let go. And the catcher is there and the catcher actually grabs hold of them. Their only job is to let go and be grabbed. Now, this is how I think we live. We just stay on this one because we don't want to let go. God, I know you forgive me. I know that in my mind, but guess what? I don't think you could and I don't think you want to. I'm going to keep trying. I'm going to keep swinging back and forth. Boy, if it's pretty ugly in what I've done, I'm going to try and do enough to take care of the ugly. If it's deeper that people can't even see, I'm going to do enough to try and dig myself out of here. If it's fill in the blank, maybe I'll achieve enough, do enough. But the only way we'll ever get to receive is to what? 
let go. And I don't think we know how to let go well. I think before we ever ask how we're givers, we have to first be people that let go and we literally take hold of him. And so I, I do in a few minutes want to invite you to a place of response. But I want to play out this a little more in detail, hopefully to help you more. And so as we begin this series, as we engage in the series, I want to ask this of you today. Would you let go of everything else? And really hold on and be held by him. And I want to I say it to you this way. It's not simply saying God forgives you and now you go back to living your life back and forth holding on. Because that's, that's a very common way we live. Oh, Jesus forgives me, but I'm going to keep achieving and doing and trying to make up for. I'll do whatever I can and I'm not going to let go. But I wonder if any of you here today would go, man, my sin is too deep. My sin is too great. There's no way God could ever love me that much. I'm telling you to let go because his grace is greater. It's greater. Some of you, you carry a shame. You carry it that every time you do something that doesn't measure up or even when you get somewhere, have you ever had this where you achieve really well and you feel good for about two minutes or a week or a month? But then you got to be on to the next one because it doesn't last, does it? You go, you know what, my shame's too wide. And I love the picture of the cross because Jesus stretches out his arms. You go, he's got some serious, fantastic four rubber arms that go pretty far around. I mean, come on. Those arms could go farther than anything you stretch for. Yeah, I know I'm stretching it with a comic thing, but I don't care. Those arms just reach, man. It's like, I love the picture. Like nothing can get beyond him. <laughs> Some of you carry a guilt and you go, man, if you know what I did, if you knew the, di the deep depth of the hole I have dug, I go, no, no, man, God loves digging deeper because his love is greater. I think some of us today, we need to start walking in this. And I don't think it'll be a momentary thing. I think you're going to keep having to remember, I got to let go, I got to let go, I got to let go. That's where we're going to start today. Whether for the first time you want to respond to who Jesus is and be a follower, whether you say you're a follower but you keep going back to, we call it going back to Egypt. You're going back to the slavery we live in. I better achieve, I better do, I better hide, I better make up for. That's where we're starting. But then I also want to ask you not just to participate on Sundays. So we've written reading plans before, and I, I'll be honest with you, we always want to help you engage I've never written one before and thought, you know, I think this will be really, like I think it's dead on for God helping us through this weeks ahead. So we wrote a plan that you read five days a week. And don't worry, it's like half a page. I mean, you read that on your phone, right? Like you can handle this. I'm not asking you to become scholarly readers. I'm asking you to become followers of Jesus that just sit and read. And so we have these bookmarks. You can get them on the way out. We have it online if you're watching online. That's just allshores.org slash give or take. But what I want to encourage, we have you five days a week reading. And all the passages we did today, there'll be longer parts of that. And then we ask you to read it four times. I want to explain this to you so it's really clear. And you're going to be in quiet. And then you're just going to ask God, reveal who you are, Lord. You read the first time for what it tells us about God. And you say, God, help me to reflect on what you want to tell me. You're reading it again. What's it say about me and for me? Then the third one is response. God, what do you want me to do with this? How do I respond? 
And the last one we say is to relate. What might it be to share with someone else what you're discovering? Now, it has days one, two, three, four, five, and then it skips to day eight, not because we don't know how to count, but because each week is five days. Tracking with me? And I, I'm not asking. I'm telling you, you got to do this. You need to do this. This isn't even a lot of time. I think God will meet you if you do this with us. I want you to engage this way in it. And then I want to give you one final picture of this because I skipped a verse in John 15 that makes a difference for us, not just for what we receive. This is what Jesus said a little more completely. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love is no one than this than to lay down one's life for one's friends. In other words, what you've let go and received, you now get to let go and give. And we're going to spend the rest of these weeks, these five weeks, discovering what does that look like as a follower of Jesus. So I want to pray for us. And I'm going to ask God to meet us. And then we'll have a little time to worship and celebrate communion as a response. So let's pray together. Lord, I prayed at the beginning that anything that's not from you would fall to the ground and be forgotten. But I did pray what was you make clear to us and impact us. So I'm asking for that now. I pray for any among us who are not followers of Jesus or receivers of grace and of your love to ask for it today. If that's you, you simply can ask, Lord, I cannot do enough and I want to receive and have you take hold of me in my life. Be Lord. And just ask for that in the name and power of Jesus as you confess your own sin and your own struggle. And then as well, for those of us here who would claim Jesus but live as if we're still on the, hanging on the trapeze, still holding on, still trying to take, still hoping it's enough, why don't you ask God to renew you today? Be renewed in the very gift he's given you. And then for all of us, let's ask for God to help us become people that will live the same way he did for us and does for us. So, Lord, you do what you want to do through all this, and just don't let anything hinder it. I pray this in the name and the power of Jesus. I pray against anything that would stop that, Lord, that the enemy would have no place, that the lies we hear in our minds would have no place, but we would hear your gentle and strong voice saying, let go and trust me. And I pray we would receive that freshly and we would walk in different ways now. I pray this in your name. Amen. I want to invite you to stand. We're going to worship in response and reply. And we always say we give time to worship and time for communion, so we let the Spirit continue to do whatever he wants to do among us. So you're not just worshiping to give, you're worshiping to receive. And we're going to sing of his mercy, the mercy that comes over his judgment, because God's, God's holiness demands judgment, but his love says, no, 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 I'll die for you so I can give you mercy. And let's receive that even as we sing of it together. Blameless in your sight. 
you to be seated and you should have been given a cup when you came in the top of that has bread if you peel the first layer and then the second layer we'll get to the drink and we celebrate communion every week here what's called the Lord's Supper the Eucharist it's what the church has done for all of our history and it's the centering act that we relive remember and rediscover the incredible generous grace of the Lord that we remember his greatest act of love. And so we don't have any stipulation that you have to be a member here. We want you to be pursuing Jesus that it wouldn't be a meaningless religious routine. On the night Jesus was betrayed, the very time before he was to be taken off and suffer, he broke the bread and he gave thanks. And he said, this is my body and it's given for you. I love you so much that I am laying down my life that you can have forgiveness and new life. Let's take of the bread. In the same way, Jesus took the cup. He said, this is a new covenant in my blood for the forgiveness of your sins. There's a sweetness when the bitterness is washed away. And you and I will never be able to wash it away our own. We let go we let him take hold and that's what happens in the midst of our receiving let's take of the cup and then as we always do we ask that the Lord would meet you and give grace to you where you need it today both in this activity and even as we worship together in his name let's stand together 
and be reminded and even proclaiming of how we want to live differently for him in this new life he gives to us. So I will wait and spend my days loving the one who has raised me up from death to life, from wrong to right. You're making all things beautiful. So I will wait and spend my days loving the one who has raised me up from death to life, from wrong to right. You're making all things beautiful. So I'll wake and spend my days loving the one who has raised me up from dead to life, from wrong to right. You're making all things beautiful. I'll wake and spend my days loving the one who has raised me up from dead to life, from wrong to right. You're making all things beautiful. You're making all things beautiful. You're making all things beautiful. You're making all things One, uh, one area that always hits me so significantly, even as we will sing about God making things beautiful and new, we marvel at creation, which we should. God made that. But what he's doing is making a new creation, and that's both restoring and making better. Come on. That is beyond amazing. You thought the creation was good. How about the new life that he's giving through his very mercy? And we receive that. I want to encourage you again to be reading those five days this week and see what God might do to keep instilling in you what he's saying and wanting for you and giving to you. Let me have you place your hands out and give you a blessing now. May the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ continually fill you with his spirit. May he increasingly help you know the height and breadth and depth and width of his love. May he hear his gentle whisper to let go and feel and know he's taking hold, bringing new life that you as well would both receive and give like him for his glory and your joy. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen.